Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and with me, I have the pleasure of having Reverend Dr. Clayton Smith. Clayton has been a friend for many years, connected to Stewardship Network, and he has written a book, and he has some really great insight for the season that we're all in, and I thought it'd be a great idea to have him come on and talk about his book, some of the resources that he has developed to help churches in the specific season. So I'm excited to have you on, Clayton. Uh, welcome uh, to the show. Thank you, Leo, and I, it's a privilege to be here, and I appreciate the collegial way that the Christian Stewardship Network reaches out to pastors and local church community leaders to make a difference for God's kingdom, uh, and definitely in these days of crisis. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a little bit more about my, myself. I, As you can probably hear or see or both, uh, I have served a five decades in ministry. I was called in the ministry when I was a teenager and uh, was the first uh, pastor in my family history and I went through college and seminary and uh, uh, came out of ministry uh, and was serving in Kansas City. I've served three local churches and, and a campus ministry prior to my last appointment here in the Kansas City area that I'll tell you more about later. I'm uh, married. I have four kids. Uh, as of today, we have our third grandson. Yay, That's yay, awesome. yay. That's great. We're just so excited uh, yeah. about that. That's um, great. It, There's no better news than, than hearing that you have another grandbaby. So I'm I, right there with you. I'm I, right there with you. I just, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I have a passion for ministry, always have. And uh, I, uh, I love to preach and teach. Um, and when I was in a church, a larger church in St. Louis, uh, I wanted to go back and get my doctorate of ministry degree. And when I went to the seminary, the dean uh, said I wanted, he wanted to accept me, but he wanted to know first uh, what, what my skills were. And I told him what I thought they were and my passion. And, and uh, he said, well, what's the biggest challenge in your ministry? I said, well, I'll tell you, it's financial stewardship teaching and preaching. I feel a bit anxious about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want people to think I'm greedy. And so he said, well, that's great. We need you to write your dissertation on financial stewardship. It'll help you and help us. And I said, do I have to? He said, it's a must. Hmm. So while I was serving, uh, this program took three to four years. And while I was serving, I did all my practical applications uh, and and testing and the research within that local church. And we were doing a capital campaign uh, in that three-year period. So it ended up blessing me and blessing our congregation. And uh, it's still not a comfort area, but it's a challenge zone, talking about money and financial stewardship. Yeah. I'm really more of a pastor at heart. My gifts you know, are, are, are preaching, teaching, encouraging. So when you get into more of the prophetic role, <laughs> I get a little, still get a little bit anxious about that. But God does amazing things when we step out of our comfort zone and reach out to others so that they might know the joy, generosity, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I'm retired, and so I'm, I, I was happy to, after nearly 50 years of ministry, to retire. And the, the last appointment I had was as an executive pastor at United Methodist Church of the Resurrection Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And that is a church of uh, five campuses in this area and uh, over 20,000 members. And the budget that grew from 2005 when I started uh, was about 10 million. When I retired in 2018, it was 22 million. Wow. And uh, I probably would look like a whole lot younger uh, if I hadn't been a stewardship pastor, but you know, mm-hmm. you had to pay the price. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not an easy uh, cross to bear. Well, Clayton, you've written several books. The latest you've titled Growing Through Disaster, Tools for Financial and Trauma Recovery in Your Faith Community. Uh, Tell us about this book. Tell us why you wrote it. Uh, When did you start writing it? I'm curious to know when did you actually start thinking about this disaster that was coming? And then what do you hope to accomplish through this book? Well, thanks for asking, Leo. I wrote this book in my first year of retirement. Mm. And it was one of those things that I had planned on writing when I had time. So the three books that I've written published, actually all three have been written and published since 2015 at the end last five years of my active ministry. So I'm a late bloomer when it comes to finding the time to share your experience and so-called wisdom. But in 2005, when Katrina hit, Mm -hmm. um, our church got very involved and as the executive pastor of generosity, I was involved in, in helping raise the money for the disaster recovery as well as spending it. And so 2006, 7, and 8, I was involved in helping uh, two particular local churches in the Gulfport and Bay St. Louis, Mississippi area. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from that experience. Uh, Probably the most seminal moment was when I was handing out New Testaments as our project group was leaving. Uh, I was we were, we had been working for more than a week with the people that we were serving and had developed good relationships. And as I walked away uh, with a heavy heart, because they still had a lot of work to do toward recovery, I felt I needed to do more. Mm. And that was the genesis of the book. And I kept a, a good relationship with with a particular pastor who probably was the best disaster recovery pastor I've ever met. His wife was a clinical psychologist as well. Matter of fact, our church gave a huge gift at the end of that three-year period to this particular church because they served their community first mm-hmm. and saved their rebuilding of the church last. And uh, so I learned a lot from him what not to do. He's very candid. I mean, he says, Clayton, I don't want to hear the K word again. Don't use that word. <laughs> and so, so, so I learned a lot. And I, as I drove back with my team, I began thinking about, could I write a book that would help these people deal with trauma? Because pastoral area was my major area of study in college and seminary. And, and could I also write a book that would deal with the financial recovery needs? Right. And, and, being retired, I did not want to take the responsibility on my own shoulders, so I got a partner that was skilled and experienced in Christian financial stewardship teaching and preaching and had known him for a number of years. So together we wrote this in 2000, uh, 
we started in 2017 with the publisher, and uh, then we began to work on the book outline, and then we began to do our writing. And it was published in September, less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Had we known that was a pandemic time coming, we would have written specifically about that. But pandemic is a disaster. Sure. And so this material is very relevant. And we wrote it in a way because over the min- over the years of ministry, I'd led grief groups, uh, grief recovery groups, for 15 years or more using Howard Kleinbill, um, who was a seminary professor who wrote a book on the dynamics of grief. Uh, and so um, we wrote the book, six chapters of content, and uh, and and six chapters of small group uh, curriculum. Hmm. So the group leader, anyone who has compassion can be a group leader because he can just, and it's in the book. So the participants would follow along uh, after they've read the content, then they would discuss that particular material in the related um, chapter on that topic. So it's it's a great book. and it's been well received because it's so timely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. But it, it's just now, as, the, as we continue to grow in the pandemic, instead of recover from the pandemic, there's more and more questions about what tools are available to help a church recover and get yeah. back to church. So that's a little bit about the book. And what I hope to accomplish is help people recover from the grief of loss, which is traumatic, and it's also financial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how closely connected do you believe, especially through this pandemic, is the financial and the emotional side of the, you know, the grief that's going on, and of course the the challenges that we're facing. And we're not out of it yet, so it's ongoing. I don't know what the end result's going to be. I think we're going to find out that there are implications to this thing that we're not even considering at the moment. At least some of us are not. Uh, I'm sure there's some people who are already predicting and seeing things that we're not seeing, you know, as a general uh, population. Because this is new, This there's a, an isolation component to it. There's a financial component to it. So in your book, I'm sure you've touched on some of this. So feel free to kind of jump in. Not only what do you hope that the book will accomplish, but specifically to a faith community, how can this resource help the church and that community to not only go through it, because this may still be something that, that we're going to be going through for maybe several months, maybe even longer than that. And if that's the case, how do we get through it? How do we, in a very healthy way, try to try to process through this so it doesn't get worse for us, but then coming out of it, how do we actually get back to a new normal? Well, that's a great question. And the correlation between our emotional and spiritual is really a vital aspect of of beginning to recover financially. Mm. And much of what I experienced in 2008, 9, and 10 during the Great Recession as Mm. an executive pastor of stewardship was based on that correlation because people were fearful. uh, They were in debt. They didn't see any way out. There was panic. There was unemployment. And so uh, I see a similarity, a great similarity from what I learned from that experience. Plus, uh, on a personal note, um, my own experience with grief was uh, very 
personal because my first wife, Anne, died suddenly in 1984, mm -hmm. and I had two small children, Krista and Caleb, ages uh, five and eight. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had done a lot of uh, studies on grief while I was in seminary. My last year, I helped edit a book by a professor on the dynamics of grief, as a matter of fact. So professionally, I was prepared, but personally, I was not. I'm glad I was prepared professionally because I was able to take the right steps in my own road to recovery. And it's amazing how God works through situations. That church was so supportive of me. Uh, six years later, in 2010, that church won the, the denomination's church growth award. Hmm. And the church mobilized to help me help the church grow. It was a dynamic situation. Mm. And of course, I've been twice blessed. I remarried and had two more children. And, and I'm so grateful that God has blessed me in this way and humbled by it as well. Mm. But uh, the correlation is essential. I think we have to deal with matters of the heart um, before we deal with matters of the head, especially in a crisis situation. And this book really focuses on that style and it has stories in it and so forth. Uh, the, the book is titled Growing Through Disaster, so it's not just surviving it uh, and not just recovery, but out of my own experience, I grew through grief. For 15 years, uh, I led three different grief groups uh, titled Growing Through Grief. And so uh, I believe you can be better. You, if you get the right help and you try not to do it by yourself, you have to be together. So I would encourage pastors of churches that they get at least two or three other pastors that they can partner with to help each other. Don't go it alone. The mm -hmm. subtitle of this book is Tools for Financial and Trauma Recovery in Your Faith Community. And the goal is, is again, get some facilitators uh, in your group. And, and I'd encourage you as a pastor to preach through this book, teach through this book, and then give some leadership training for facilitators and have each group uh, have two facilitators so the groups can continue because people are not quite ready for this. They're still in shock and, we're, and our fear is compounded with the increase of virus and mm -hmm. increase of death. And it's going to continue to a point where we're going to have to stop and get over the shock and then start taking some practical steps forward. So that's my hope um, that we can really make a difference and people can grow. I did, and and I think our church did. And with God's grace and mercy, we all can. That's great. Well, I so appreciate your personal testimony because I, I believe uh, when somebody actually physically goes through a situation like that, they, they come away changed and their perspective is so valuable uh, that's certainly been the kind of the backstory of a lot of the stewardship leaders that I interact with, including, of course, my own story is that I had to go through a difficult situation that then forced me to uh, to look at what I was doing, how I was doing it. And God always uses those times. And you're right. That's when we grow the most is when we embrace the fact that that we live in a fallen world. Uh, it's not it's not the end of the story. And that's that's a good thing. But in the meantime, we have to figure out how to get through the story and, and try to make the world a better place. And I think that's the opportunity that we all have. So I'm so grateful for your testimony and for what you're doing. The fact that you took something that that could have. Well, you could have gone in a different direction and I'm grateful that you did. And your faith in God obviously helped there. 
Um, Amen. So, so let's let's talk about how do you think churches using this resource, or even even on a broader scale, how can they once things become a little bit more normal? And I agree with you. I think we're still in the shock phase. We're not ready for the cure quite yet, at least not on a on a long term. But what would you suggest would be a process that a church can or faith community, if I could just say it that way, right? What would be the process that you would you would say they need to consider taking in order to get through this and get on the other side? Well, it's interesting that uh, every stewardship campaign I did uh, for annual giving or capital campaign that that I did well, uh, and and our church uh, team worked together on it was based on the needs of our congregation. And so survey is a very important tool to begin with. And it, you can survey people a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be, you know, an online survey or a question, written questions and answers. You can do it verbally and in individually in small groups. And But knowing the need and taking the time for your people to, to realize you really care about them. Mm. The last church I served in 2008 to 2010, we made a paradigm shift and it was based on this statement. It's not what the church wants from her members, but mm. it's what the church wants for her members. That's good. And back in those, in, in those years, 10, 12 years ago, there were a number of churches that were making that shift in, Christian, in the Christian Stewardship Network and some other groups that I was a part of. Um, and we realized that we had to be authentic and prove that. Um, but we did because uh, now's the time to help people deal with their financial worries and concerns. Now's the time to help them deal with the emotional trauma or grief or fear, uh, the, all the above, through your preaching and teaching. And as you do that, then they open their hearts and minds and the healing begins. And there's nothing greater than a testimony of somebody who comes to Christ when they are lost or they are hurt or they're down and out. Yeah. It's good. There's, so this, this book, uh, growing through disasters is one way you can reset your stewardship. Mm. And we might want to talk just a little more specifically about the dynamics of that since our audience probably is pastors and church leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- dive a little deeper into what is what do you mean by reset stewardship? Well, after after you recognize the needs, uh, you begin to think about what sermons and again, I'm I'm a past I've pastored three churches, so I'm a pastor uh, preacher type. I've been a professional executive pastor for I was only that for about fourteen years. The rest was all preaching and teaching. So. Once you survey the needs, then you think about what theme, uh, what sermon series titles would be. So one that came out of 2008-10 that we actually revised and did it three three years in a row was uh, a series that was titled Biblical Wisdom for Challenging Economic Times. Good. So the biblical focus, whether it's trauma or financial, I think uh, the scriptures are just fertile with great insight and much hope that can help reignite healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one aspect. But as an executive stewardship pastor, I had to go deeper, which I enjoyed doing, uh, specializing ministry, whether you're a volunteer or a pastor is really cool. 
So when I say reset stewardship ministry, begin by developing a simple strategic stewardship recovery plan. And to do that, you do an audit. Now, I don't want to scare people off of that term, but an audit. For example, you begin by saying, well, what was given three months, the last three months before the crisis, and what has been given now three months after the crisis? Hmm. And see the difference. Make sure you know what the need is. I mean, you're asking people what their needs are. The church needs to know a need. Financial cash flow, uh, and not just annual giving, but all kinds of giving. So then... Once you've got that, you'll then more easily be able to develop an audit going back one year, two years, or three years, depending on what you think is best in your situation, so you can see a one, two, or three-year average. Mm -hmm. And then you set your giving goals, which is your strategic plan for recovery, what those realistic positive goals are for the next three to five years, and your finance committee begins to take a sigh of relief. You have a diagnosis what the problem is, and you have have something that can kind of project the prognosis, what's going to be the outcome, and you don't you don't panic, and you don't fire people uh, uh, unless there's an immediate need because you don't have the resource, but you see that in it, and plus you can actually uh, restructure not only your uh, staffing, but your programming as well, and you'll cut back on all the insignificant programming, and we all have a lot of that. So we do something more significant. Most pastors I know have already developed a COVID-19 leadership team. Right. And uh, I, I would I would probably say not all of them have included stewardship. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I'd have to agree with you. Maybe many, <laughs> many of them haven't, and that's part of the problem. And if they haven't, then now's the time to, to look in that particular area or get a coach or a consultant. There, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've listened, believe it or not, since I'm retired, I have listened probably to 20 really good uh, webinars mm-hmm. around this pandemic and the, the cost to our, our life and our church. So when you the outcome of that strategic plan is not a 10-page document. I'm, I would recommend it's a one-page document good. and that it be cl- written in a clear, concise, and compelling way and that it start by focusing on your church's mission statement or purpose statement or vision and keep that. Don't forget about that purpose statement because that usually reflects what your church does best. That's the strength that can carry you through this troubled time. Knowing what you can do well, do it. Mm-hmm. Don't panic because there are areas you can't do, do well. And of course, regular communication with members and donors and potential members and donors, mm-hmm. you, you know, social media, but, is very important. Yeah. I might say too, in this plan, don't just look at annual giving, but look at uh, giving that you received that's designated giving, uh, your mission giving or your disaster needs giving, your building, uh, capital needs, uh, your memorial gifts, and of course, plan giving or legacy and bequest, bequest gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it looked at the whole thing. Um, now, if it's too cumbersome, just do one at a time. But And I would focus on, on annual giving. But recognize that many streams of income can be uh, increased around that. And, of course, uh, electronic fund transfers, digital giving, you may need to develop that, that particular model. The Lilly School of Philanthropy uh, sent out a survey across the country 
And uh, nearly half of the respondents said that stewardship would be their most significant challenge for mm. recovery. And uh, I think that's a target. That, that, that's, that's got to be a need, yeah. uh, whether you like it or not. Um, uh, so I would encourage that. That information, by the way, uh, is spelled out in a book that I first wrote in 2015 called Propel Good Stewardship, Greater Generosity. Mm-hmm. And Propel, like the book Growing Through Disaster, are on Amazon. Okay. And that's the best place to, to search and find those. Or feel free to call me. Uh, I I like to help, no cost, so to speak. Yeah, I'm you're not, you're the you're the retired and inspired and want to be. That's out right. People. Exactly. You've lived out as a good steward, so you can actually do this and not worry about the financial side of it, which is a great testimony, by the way, Clayton. Thanks. Thanks. I think all of us all of us should aspire to that, so that one day we have no limitations on what we can do because the Lord's been faithful and we've been faithful, and now we can be. Uh, exponentially a lot more useful to the kingdom. And I love that. So, yeah. okay. So, so I see the need and I see, and I agree with you. I think the the study that you mentioned, the Lilly school of philanthropy and their results on the fact that stewardship is going to be the biggest challenge through this recovery. And I know that when in, in our network, as we talk about stewardship, we have a deeper meaning of that word. And that's not always the case in, in the church world. Sometimes stewardship means different things to the different people. But obviously, we're, we are talking about the financial challenge of it, right? There's going to be a, a challenge financially for churches, for people, and for the faith community at large. So that's an important thing. You mentioned that there should be a focus on preaching and teaching, right? There should be a right. very specific teaching that, that is going to help people to see a biblical perspective on how they're to manage going forward. Because whenever there's a financial challenge in our lives, it, it affects more than just our finances. But if we don't know the how to move forward in a, in the right way and be good stewards, then we'll not experience the freedom and the blessing that God wants to provide. God is faithful to provide, but a lot of times we squander that. So it's up to the stewardship leader, but it's more important up to the senior leader to make sure that this is a message that's going out from the pulpit. And then also on a practical level, that's being taught in their churches. That's what CSN is really all about is helping church leaders understand the importance of this discipleship. So coming out of this pandemic and, of course, recovering from it will require that we make that a, a real emphasis. It has to be. So I love the way you said it, reset stewardship, meaning that you you got to do it and you got to do it to a deeper level. So I love that. All right. So what other ways can churches, faith communities uh, get through disaster uh, and help uh, move forward in a positive way through this? Uh, one of the things that I... I really discovered in researching my recent book on growing through disaster um, was the word resilience. Mm. And uh, I, we, as Joplin, Missouri was well known of because of the F5 tornado that hit on May 22nd, 2011 and killed 161 people. Right. It was the greatest tornado disaster in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gone, it's, it's 100 miles away or so. And so I was there for uh, teaching and working and so forth. Uh, and uh, they developed a website uh, called Joplin Pays It Forward. And uh, that website was full of stories, testimonies of community leaders and how they recovered 
and I would I summarize uh, this research with the following phrases. They had a positive but realistic approach. Mm. They had the ability to set financial recovery-based goals, and most of their businesses were destroyed. One of my friends owned a drugstore, so I had personal insight on how that recovery happened. They have a hope and trust in God and in one another. And I I mean, it is a Christian faith-based community. Unbelievable. Um, And then they develop a network of supportive leaders uh, and many church healing groups. Um, And so uh, the church leaders there were able to um, bring recovery. And today, uh, nine years after uh, this tornado in 2011, Many of these churches are stronger. They have what I call a sustainable generosity. Mm, mm. They know what it is to lose everything, even life, and come back. And so they've developed a a culture of giving, and much of that is on a digital basis. The church that I last served, uh, which I mentioned earlier, uh, we were able to grow digital giving uh, from about uh, 20%. Uh, to nearly 50%. And so now during the summer, during this pandemic, the, the, you know, my wife and I continue to give uh, electronically and we, that way it's sustainable and it doesn't uh, have a up and down cash flow for local churches. It's just mm-hmm. one less thing we have to worry about, about our tithe. The question, you know, there are many things that we need to look at too. Online worship's already changed us. Uh, our approach to pastoral care uh, uh, to meet the needs of people in crisis. And I've talked to a number of pastors who are just almost burnt out Mm. because they've never been so busy, believe it or not. I know it goes in extremes. But now is a time to develop new approaches to financial education. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that. We started that program in 2007 in our church. So it was up and going and ready in 2008, 9, and 10. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, we had over 3,000 people whose lives were changed. And Dave Ramsey has been to our church, and his team has been to our church. Mm-hmm. And we've been very supportive in, in what they're doing. And that's always a proven model for people to fall back. There are many other great models, mm-hmm. uh, Christian stewardship networks has uh, encouraged some of those as well yeah i my question is what will your faith community look like in the months and years ahead and i think this is a defining moment um, and i think the foundation the foundation of all that we do is financial stewardship uh, and that of course is a part of discipleship remaining faithful staying in the boat during the storm mm-hmm. not bailing but being more intentional yeah. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. I think that's, I love the resilience part of this because in in difficult times, the example you used with Joplin and so many other situations that we are aware of, things that have happened in difficult times when people actually pull together. And I, I actually believe that it's easier to convince and help people understand the need for generosity and good stewardship in difficult times than it is in plentiful times. In other words, People have more resources to give when things are going well, but they're not inclined to give because we're human beings. We tend to pursue pleasure and stuff and materialism 
And when we have an abundance, we tend to kind of go a little bit crazy with it. But when things are really difficult and, and most of our resources, what we used to depend on, are taken away, then we see what really matters. And when we right. do that, especially when we see someone else suffer or go through a situation that's a lot more difficult than ours, not only do we have empathy, but we recognize what's really important. It boils it down to the human factor that we're here to support each other. We're here to love and, and care for one another and help each other get through difficult times. And I think it's so such a really an opportunity for us. Yes, it's difficult. We've been isolated. We don't know what the end's going to look like. We don't know how far away it is. And it's already had some negative consequences and will continue to do so. But at the same time, I think I've seen uh, so much good come out of it as well. And I agree. I've, I've seen, I've talked to some of the friends that are part of the CSN network and have said some of their churches, their giving is up. I was talking to a friend just before you and I got on this call and and he said that they have seen hundreds of people that were part of the church that had never given before start to give during the pandemic. First time givers and then consistently give. Now, that, that just kind of tells you, one, they already had a culture, but the mind shift had to change. They had to be put in a position where they had to look outside of themselves. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah, there's people that are in need and we're blessed, so we should give. And so, so I love the season because even though it seems to be so pessimistic and so difficult, but yet it gives us an opportunity to look at, uh, at our heart and our commitment much deeper. So in difficulty, God is faithful to bring good out of it if we're willing to, uh, to walk it out. So I so appreciate the fact that you have taken that. That's been your life story. You've taken tragedy and turned it into triumph. And, and really what I'm hearing you say, Clayton, is finances obviously pay a, a, play a big part in that because it's just, we know that it, it's central right. to so many things, even though it's not an important thing. It's just a tool we're supposed to use, but, but yeah, without it, life can get very challenging and difficult and it takes money to support ministry, to help people in need. Uh, so the resources are important and the better we steward those, the better we're able to actually live out uh, our calling, which is to help those in need, not just to say, I'm praying for you, but to actually come alongside and say, how can I practically help you? And I love that, that the church can do that now. Uh, it's in a position to actually help the community that they're in. And it's my prayer that as we get to the other side of this, that people will say, I didn't know anything about these people before this, but now I know them and I know them individually. And I'm part of them. I'm part of this community of people that actually reached out and helped me when they didn't need to. And there's no better testimony of what love, both for Christ, but also for each other. There's no better testimony than that. And I think that's what Christianity really is. Uh, at the core. So I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to, of course, everything you've done in your ministry. Uh, I'm grateful for that because that's been a lifelong effort. So I want to commend you. you for that, but also for, for going beyond that to not saying, okay, I've done it. I'm going to step <laughs> out. I'm just going to, you know, go on the beach or at the golf course, but you've actually said, no, now I'm free to actually do more. And I love yeah. the way you sign your signature, retired and inspired. I Amen. love that because it, it it's a testimony of what all of us should be aspiring to which is to get free in every way possible so that we can be more useful. Thank you, Leo. Thank you very, very much. And I'm compelled to respond by saying to the, your audience, don't forget about the retired pastors in your community. Mm. Put them to work. Yep. Their wisdom, their experience in this crisis can be an unpaid uh, staff member. Yeah. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's, 
that's one of my, the, uh, the third book I wrote was all about boomers. It's mm. called Crossroads, Navigating the Second Half of Your Life. And it talked about life lessons. That's and awesome. of course, one of them was financial legacy. But but mm-hmm. so I would challenge uh, other retired pastors to get in, back in the saddle, and do what you can do to make a difference. Uh, it's my joy being a retired pastor. Yep. People love me more. <laughs> Plus, you don't have to take all the burden that comes with ministry full time. <laughs> no, so that's, I know. That's a wonderful thing. I so. know. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so thank I you. had I had I had to encourage uh, other retired pastors. I don't like retired pastors or any person with gifts to retire and not continue yeah. to use those gifts. That's not good stewardship. Yeah, I don't I don't like the word retired. Uh, I do like <laughs> the ability to say I am now entering a different phase of life where Amen. I can actually do a lot more good without all the baggage that I had to worry about with raising a family and all of the things that that's on our heart, our minds exactly as we get through life and we are limited, but there should be a season when we're less limited. And I think you're there, my friend. So thank great you. for you. Thank you. I also Leo. want to thank all of you who have listened to this podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation. I hope it's blessed you. I hope it's encouraged you. Clayton, how can people get a hold of you and how can they benefit from some of the things that you have done, obviously, and the resources that you've developed? Well, thank you for asking, Leo. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is through my email at claytonlsmith at icloud.com. And I will respond uh, to their request. I'm glad to help in any way. I do coaching. I do uh, consulting work. Uh, I lead webinars and workshops. And I'm a conference speaker. So I enjoy doing a lot um, of ministry in my retirement. Um, I also enjoy travel and gardening. And, and matter of fact, I had my first uh, fresh tomato today for lunch. It was so awesome, nice. right out of the garden. But <laughs> I'm here to help. Um, I'm a good a trainer, uh, facilitator. If they want to do small groups or they want to do an audit mm-hmm. or they want to develop a boomer ministry, I could give them a little pep talk and tell them what's good about that, what some of the pitfalls are. Again, I'm here to serve. I'm not looking for employment or remuneration. I'm looking to bring people, more people into the kingdom of God and helping pastors. That's awesome. Well, folks, again, if you want to get a hold of Clayton, I will add his email in the show notes of this episode. So if you didn't get his email, don't worry. You can find it on our show notes and feel free to reach out to him if for no other reason, but just to have a conversation and get some of his wisdom and insight but I think he can help you with other things as well. So if, if he can serve you in that way, know that that's his desire to do so. Well, again, thank you for joining us for this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode. In the meantime, remember, God has called you to be the best steward that you can be. So be that faithful steward, but go one step further. Teach others to do the same. Thanks.